Welcome to the Retirement Risk Show, the best retirement interviews and advice with Dave Hall. Learn strategies to help you reduce and even eliminate the risks facing your retirement. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Here we are back again with the Retirement Risk Show, back helping you better understand what it's going to take to get you safely through retirement. My name's Dave Hall. I'm your host. We are here to help you navigate those retirement years, that period of life where you get to do whatever you want to. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, retirementriskadvisors.com. Here you'll get access to all of our tools, our, our webinars, our free resources, as well as my new book, Getting Safely Through Retirement. All that can be yours. Just go to our website. Uh, myself and my team are happy to get you the information you need to be able to uh, better your retirement. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about longevity risk. Longevity can be a great thing for many of us if we are healthy and we've got the funds to get us through that period of time, but it also can be a very challenging period of time for many retirees. To help me with this, I brought in my partner, Brian Brett. Brian, welcome to the show. Hello, Dave. Good to see you. Happy 2024 to you and everybody in the listening audience. Uh, We're off to another year, hot and heavy and ready to go. Yeah, it seems like it's come off with some bumps and a a few bruises, at least on this end, uh, first couple of days. Uh, Had a lot of sick family, a lot of things from my end, from business transactions that are going on that have been hung up a little bit, but hopefully it just gets better from here. Well, I'm hoping the momentum that we saw, at least in the uh, stock market towards the end of 23, carries forward but you know january the you know the the saying is as january goes so goes the rest of the year so i'm very just as a longtime trader and an asset manager i'm very interested to see how this january turns out because man oh man there is a lot of ingredients that could just make this cake collapse in 2024 and i'm hoping it's a quiet year because i've had it with with the adventurous years I'm, I'm just looking for some consistency at this point brian have you ever seen a time where it's been so divisive, meaning you've got one side that still thinks that the market, all it can ever do is continue to go up. You've got another side saying, no, it's got to collapse. It seems like there's more separation, at least than I've ever noticed. Not saying it hasn't been there. It's just more noticeable on my end lately than I've seen in previous years. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I think looking back, I mean, I started as an asset manager in 86 and we got all of our information from the Wall Street Journal while we were on the train making our way into the city. And we'd all sit there and read the paper. And that was it, right? So I think now, because of the number of uh, sources and outlets that people have access to, and the fact that they do seem to be in coordination with each other, even in the languaging that they use, particular, I would say, extremities are very easily magnified in our new world of you know walking around with supercomputers in our pocket and having instantaneous access to sensational information, whether it's true or it's not. So stuff spreads really fast. And I think you get more division, as you call it, right? You you get people that kind of go into certain tribes, into certain camps, and they become hardliners on those ways of thinking. And I think other people go the other direction, depending on where they get their news from, right? You know, in the old days, it was Walter Cronkite, right? And you had your morning news and you had your evening news and you had a morning paper. Maybe you had an afternoon paper, like we had the New York Post in the afternoons. And that was it. That was all. And then you went back to your life, like just go be, go live, go take care of your family and your job and do your fun stuff. But now I think, you know, everything is much more extreme because of all these feeds of information that are constantly hitting us. And, uh, and I think the algorithms know what we attract to. So they tend to give us more of what we attract to. So I think everything feels more extreme because of that, right? 
And I think the news outlets seem to want to hit the shock value more than before. Sure. Talk back in the early days, seemed like the news was really news and you were getting pretty uh, factual information. And now it does seem to be what's the latest shock value that's going to get someone to click on it and get them to read it. And and based on your own preferences, I, I wholly believe that we are definitely being fed really what people think we want to have. Now, not saying that's good or bad, just saying that's the reality of what we live in. Yeah. So we need to get into longevity. First question to you is, do you have an age? Was there ever a point in your life, maybe when you're younger or even as you've aged, that you said, hey, this is really where I think I'm going uh, from a life expectancy standpoint? You know, until I got really involved in planning about 17, 18 years ago, there was never, you didn't even think about it, right? You know, you looked around at your relatives and you said, wow, grandma made it to 93. Maybe I'll make it to 93, right? And then, oh, dad died at 81. Well, maybe I won't make it to 93, right? So I think as far as a particular age goes, I always had a hundred in mind as I looked at it, right? Kind of, you know, break my life up into quadrants, if you will, right? So there's quadrants for making the money, there's quadrants for getting through school, there's quadrants for raising a family, and then there's that retirement quadrant, right? Where you're kind of done all the heavy lifting and hopefully by that last quarter of your life, everything's in place where you don't have to worry too much and you can do stuff you didn't have time to do while you were working. But no, as far as an age, probably a hundred, like I said, but now, I, I don't know. I mean, I think in my mind that age has come down a bunch, right? You know, tell my kids that they get upset. And I'm like, hey, look, you know, I'm 59. If I make it to 75, 80, I'm happy. And they're like, no, what are you talking about? That's not the, you can't be thinking like that, you know? And I'm like, ah, I've done a lot of stuff. I'm happy. If I go tomorrow, I won't have any regrets. <laughs> it's interesting, Brian. Mine was the opposite. So being raised in an environment where a lot of my family died young. Right. A lot of them have been exposed to radiation testing of Southern Nevada. They Gee. lived in Southern Utah and were dying in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. Wow. Early 70s was my age. I actually, growing up, there were two things I remember as I was leaving college. I figured I'd live to about 70 and be completely happy. And if I ever made 50 grand a year, I was going to be set. I was going to have all the, money, all the money I ever need. We just laugh at it now with nine kids. I now have nine children. Uh, we just brought uh, another one into our home. Oh, wow. And, uh, so with nine kids, you're not living out 50 grand a year, definitely. But no, interesting no. to see. Now, mine's going up. So I will tell you, the good news is I am going a little up from there. But like you, I've had a great life and excluding kids needing me to be here to be responsible. Uh, hey, I guess I could go at any time and be happy with what life offered me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what about from a national standpoint? What are we seeing across the nation with longevity? And what do some of our listeners need to be prepared for as they look at their own life expectancies? So, you know, I think what I'm finding interesting, even in the software that we use for building our plans, which downloads longevity numbers from a national database, I see longevity dropping a little bit. You know, I remember not that long ago, let's just say pre-COVID, that, you know, you had females showing up at 86, 87 as a life expectancy and the males, maybe, I don't know, 84, right? And now I'm starting to see like 81 and 83 or 82 and 85, whatever it is. So it seems like COVID and then, you know, maybe a lot of stuff that happened after COVID really longevity is dropping. And I know that when the insurance directors of large insurance companies got together for a national conference, that was a big discussion of, uh, of the topics was all-cause mortality is up 40%. And this was post 
COVID pandemic. So that's when they started to really see it. It wasn't during the pandemic because, you know, only I think what a half of a percent of the people that got COVID died from it. So, but it was after that, that a whole bunch of stuff started happening. So I think longevity numbers are coming down a little bit nationally, but because our clients are financially affluent, they tend to be at the longer end of all the scales, right? So, you know, if the national average for the, you know, for a 59 year old male, that's me, right, is 82, well, our clients, because of, again, the wealth and the success they've had, they tend to be on the much longer end of that anyway. So one lesson to be learned is look at the national longevity for what our plan says, but then add a bunch of years because good health care, probably live in a safe area. You know, a lot of the things that the national numbers absorb a lot of our clients don't really experience just because they're they tend to be professionals, they tend to have wealth. They tend to take care of themselves probably better than the people that make up the national average, right? So I think it's always good. And that's why you and I have always believed, even if it says, you know, your longevity is 82, 83, we always write our plans to 100, right? So this way, if you get into your 90s, you're still not having to take a pay cut of any kind and you can still keep living the lifestyle you wanted to live. Yeah, the consequence of running out is much more severe than passing away early and having money left. I've never yet to this day, including my own parents who passed away very young, had them come back, say, boy, I sure wish I would have done things different. I wish I would have blown more money in those early years of retirement. But we sure see it on the longevity end when people live longer than expected going, Brian, Dave, I'm really not even sure I'm going to handle my finances to get me through these years. I'm facing one of the worst risks I could possibly have. And that is that I now become a burden to my children and they have to start taking care of me rather than uh, me being responsible and hopefully helping them in some way. Yeah, absolutely true. So longevity is a risk multiplier. That's something else we talk about. A couple of the uh, risks that it multiplies for sure are looking at long-term care and the issues of our health. And then another one's tax. Brian, let's talk a little bit about long-term care first and what the problems are with that and and maybe what's going on in the industry right now with long-term care and what solutions we can offer. Yeah. So, so back to that profile of the more affluent client living to the longer end of the life expectancy with that probability comes the probability of very expensive long-term care at some point in your life. So I'm trying to remember the most recent statistics, but I think there is a 70% chance with a married couple that one of those people will end up in long-term care. And then if you look at the average stay, I think it's like 32 months for a female and 26 months for a male. And then if you figure, depending on where you live, like, you know, living in California, obviously everything is overpriced. So, you know, we assume 12 to 15,000 a month for 30 months. And then if you live, let's say, you know, in the Midwest or the South, and maybe the cost of living is a little bit less, maybe it's eight or 9,000 a month for 30, 32 months. So, you know, usually it's not a game changer if the planning is done correctly. Because you figure, you know, if you're protecting your net worth, if you have sources of income that are guaranteed, even if the accounts go, you know, to zero, you still have some big company or pension or institution on the hook to pay you for life, that allows your other assets to be preserved. And there should be, hopefully, in a good plan, plenty of assets left over to pay for, let's say, you know, 30 months at 10,000 a month, make it easy. Okay, 300 grand at the end of your life, 
maybe is going to go to long-term care. I think that's very easy to plan for. Now, where that becomes a problem is if in the plan, the client's going to run out of money at a certain point, then that becomes a little bit more of a challenge. But again, if you have evergreen sources of income, pensions, social security, guaranteed annuities, life insurance, retirement plans, all these things that are designed to go forever. The way that I look at it is if you end up going into long-term care, a lot of the money that you were spending to live, you know, let's say you had a monthly income of 20 grand a month by that time of your life, you know, with inflation, right? A lot of those expenses are going to go away if you go to long-term care and you're going to apply those evergreen income sources to pay for the long-term care, right? So no more yoga classes. You're not going to be doing Zumba. You know, you're probably not going to be flying all over the world, right? When you get to the age where you need long-term care, so then you'll be spending the money on the long-term care. And as long as you've built some guaranteed income sources beyond social security, you should still have enough money to apply those funds to the expenses of long-term care. I ask the question in many of my webinars, what is the most you've known anyone to pay for a long-term care stay? And we've gotten as high as $24,000 a month, wow. people that have uh, popped in there. And I can't imagine, I have no idea. I don't know if it's Howard Hughes uh, facility or what, but uh, you know, it was a big city. They said it was 24 grand a month. Well, I'm assuming, but aren't they estimating 20 something years from now? Not now. No, that was what. No, that was what they were currently paying at the facility that, that they were in. One of their clients said they were paying that much, and we've had multiple in the eighteen to twenty-four. But again, this is compared to like you talked about averages that are in the you know six to twelve or whatever based on where you live. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder where, what part of the country those people were in. Like they like if they're in like New York City or some. Yeah. Boston was an eighteen thousand. I know that. So Boston, yeah. Okay, so big East Coast city, absolutely. You know, California, and again, everything's overpriced in California. I mean, I think there's still plenty of places here in San Diego, twelve thousand, thirteen thousand, and we have a very high cost of living. So yeah, eighteen to twenty four. Wow, that's got to be a really nice facility. Maybe in the middle of a metropolitan city, in a hotel like skyscraper type of feel. Right. I've seen those facilities. We looked at them for my dad and they, they were almost like concierge hotels. I think that's on the high end. But what's more important though, if you take a 60 year old and you say, Hey, you're going to need long-term care right around life expectancy. Well, now we're talking 23 years from now. That's probably very realistic. 20, maybe, you know, maybe even 25,000 a month. So now we could be talking that 30 months could be six, seven hundred thousand dollars. That's that's big, you know. So we do we do our best to try to plan for that when we build these things out. Yeah, and when you look at healthcare, right, that is one of the biggest inflation issues we have. We're not going to talk a lot about it today, but understand when we're looking at long-term care costs, it falls into the healthcare arena, even though it's not doctors or nurses that are generally providing the care for you, but it's falling in that arena where that inflation-adjusted amount just is uh, very large. I mean, if you look at Medicare, they're talking 7 8% annual increases just for inflation-adjusted costing of Medicare, Well, your Social Security is going up 2.3%. So when we look out over a 10, 20 year period of time, healthcare and these type of uh, places you're going to end up in if you end up with a long-term care event can be very problematic, but there are solutions. I mean, that's a great thing with everything that we do is if you look out to the future and start planning now, you can start solving some of these issues. Yeah. 
Agree. And I think for me as a planner, as a designer, I really like to design for in-home care. It is by far the most cost-efficient solution. You get to stay in your own home. You know, you know where the refrigerator is, you know how the rooms are laid out. As you get older, you want that familiarity of patterns. And if I can design a plan that let's just say can pay a private person to come into someone's home and either live in it or come in eight or 10 hours a day, that's really, I think, a great solution. And the insurance companies agree. They want you to keep you in your home. They don't want to send you to a facility. I think a facility, first of all, is way more expensive. And second of all, the quality of life is questionable depending on the facility that you get, right? So some of them may be like, you know, poorly funded hospitals and other ones might be like luxury hotels, right? But when we build out solutions for long-term care, it's really important that we build out solutions that allow a client to stay in their home and get whatever level of care, even nursing care that they need. And that's what I like about some of the solutions we use, that you don't need to go to a facility and you don't need two doctors to verify that you qualify. All you need is one doctor to write a note saying that you can't do two of the six activities of daily living. As soon as that note is submitted to a lot of these big carriers, they'll start sending you a check and you don't have to jump through hoops and you don't have to constantly be revalidated. It's once a year, the doctor has to send a letter saying, yeah, he still can't do two of the six activities of daily living. He can't tie his own shoes and he has trouble getting out of bed in the morning. Therefore, someone needs to be living in the house, you know, to be able to help with that. I think that's key because I've seen a lot of people with long-term care policies pay a lot of money and then not qualify to get the money back to ever, you know, to, it's, it's kind of this game, right? It's like, oh, thanks for paying all these premiums for 30 years, but you don't quite qualify to really get the coverage unless you go to a facility. And you're like, well, I don't want to go to a facility. I want to live in my own house and have someone come in and take care of me. Oh no, we don't. We don't cover that. You got to go to a, you know, a Medicare approved facility, or you have to go to a long-term care approved facility. I think a lot of the solutions we're using these days are great because they don't require you to go to a facility. And who really wants to spend the end of their life in, you know, a strange place with people you don't know? If you have to, you have to, I guess, but. There's not a lot of situations that you really should be forced to do that. And if you really look at it from the insurance side of things, uh, again, if you're staying in your home, reality is you're not having to repay for those those housing costs. I mean, that's part of going into facility. It's as if you're buying a home again because you have to have a place to stay and paying all those additional costs. Well, if you're in your home, not having to worry about that because that's already theoretically paid for or should be by that point. And now they're just paying the coverage costs there and allowing you to go through the process. But as you look at it, it is becoming a bigger, bigger issue because of longevity. Yes, we're seeing some numbers that have been adjusting downwards, but as the government looks out, they're projecting average longevity by the time we hit 2060 to be in the mid 80s for an average person, not just a retiree. So retiree diaries that puts it into the 90s. Yeah. So we definitely uh, have some things we need to prepare for. And again, I think there's just some great solutions out there. And the other one I'd, I'd mention too, as we look at it is you really want a closed end solution. Now, I'm not sure that's the right term, but I've got clients that have come to me that have been paying on policies for 30 years. 
and they've got to pay until they, they die. It's not a closed-in policy. They're just going to have to keep paying. Mm-hmm. One of them was up to $37,000 a year for he and his wife. They're in their 80s where they need it. And he's going, Dave, I, three grand a month I got to come up with. And the minute I miss one payment, it's done. I get nothing back. You've got to be very careful there to not get yourself into something that you think's solving it today, but is not as open-ended to where, hey, by the time you get into retirement, it could be uh, to a point you can't even afford to keep up with it. Uh, that's a great point. And, you know, David McKnight always said it, if it's a use it or lose it, you don't want it, right? And that's the problem with a lot of these policies. If you don't use it, all the premiums you paid are gone. That's it. Your family will never see them. Your kids and grandkids will never see them. So what, you know, what the new solution is, and when I say new within the last 10 years, is these big insurance companies have realized, A, it's really hard to make money selling long-term care insurance. That's why so many of them left the market altogether. B, because there's so few companies even willing to play the game, they are charging astronomical premiums. And again, as you said, when you get above certain ages, it's open-ended. They can just keep raising you every year. And imagine paying premiums since the time you're 45 and now you're 85 and the premium is 10 times what you originally started with. And they seem to keep just arbitrarily raising it. So we now as planners, we look for solutions that have the ability to keep and maintain a level of benefit without having to increase any premium ever. And the way that we figured out how to do that is if it's a hybrid policy between a death benefit and a long-term care benefit, the insurance company in that case knows, hey, at some point, we're going to have to pay a million-dollar death benefit to someone. If they want to spend some of that million tax-free before they die, it's no skin off our apple. We're going to have to pay the million to their kids anyway. So if mom and dad go to long-term care and of the million, they spend 600 grand of that money before they die. And then there's going to be, you know, three, 400 grand left over for the kids. We still paid out a million bucks. We just paid it out instead of in one big lump sum, we paid it out in pieces, right? So the insurance companies have, I think have now realized people are a lot more willing to buy um, permanent life insurance policies that are able to be tapped as long-term care policies if needed. And if you die peacefully in your sleep, your kids get all the money. People are a lot more willing to make that deal than they are buying a long-term care policy. And like you said, it's open-ended to what they want to charge you as you age. And that just seems, you know, to me, very stressful for a lot of people to not know what the cost of this is going to be. So we use a lot of those permanent life insurance policy solutions with the long-term care option, as we call them, life insurance retirement plans. They become a big solution to solve some of these problems that you've just struggled to solve in your retirement. I mean, it's part of the issue when you look at only about 6% of America has a solution for long-term care. And it's not because they don't want one. It's just they're struggling to figure out a good solution. Nobody wants to get caught in that situation where you get to a point that you've spent money for 30 years and now you have nothing left. Or like some of the clients, we had one come to us not too long ago that spent half a million dollars up front to buy two policies. Now, I thought it was way excessive. I thought it was way too much. But I think, hey, I'm going to put a half a million at really no effective work for me to ensure that if I'm in that facility for 20 years, I'm covered. And for them, it was important, but it was a big chunk of the retirement assets. It was really putting the rest of the retirement at risk. If they didn't end up in the facility, now they were in a position that it's like, we may not have enough other money. We're going to have a great thing. If we have some issues, we're going to go into a great home. But if it doesn't happen, we may not have a home. Yeah. I I saw that trend about 10 years ago becoming really popular. You had these buy-ins 
to these long-term care facilities. And there was peace of mind that they were selling, like, you know, let's just get this over with. Let's get you secure. No matter what happens, we'll never kick you out. Even if you run out of money, we'll never kick you out. And it was a great sales pitch. And my parents looked at it and decided not to do it after I did the math on it. And I did the present value of money and the future value of what that money might be worth. Just like you said, you're taking that money out of circulation. You're giving it to some institution you hope is still going to be in business. Promise that, well, you always have a place to live with us here and we'll take care of you no matter how much care you need. And we'll never kick you out even if you run out of money. Well, that's a great promise, but who knows if that facility will even be around. And I don't know if any of those guys have gone under, but I just didn't feel comfortable telling my parents to write. I think it was $250,000 that they wanted them to write a check per parent. And then they would have like this guaranteed thing. So my mom is going to be 88. She still lives at home. She's losing her vision which is a problem. And at some point, you know, my brother was like, hey, we should start looking for homes for the blind just in case. And I'm like, she'll never be in a home for the blind. She has enough money guaranteed every month from all the different things that she has in place that we can bring someone in and they can make sure that she's okay and she can live a happy, healthy life. Because other than that, she's like perfectly healthy. She's got nothing. And she's already outlived all of her siblings and her parents by a good four or five years. And I think, you know, the key is to have options, but also to have that evergreen income that says, no matter how long you live, we're going to keep paying out a check, no matter what it is. And that's what my mom has been living off for many, many years. And she's happy as a clam and she's not stressed about money at all. She's not rich, but she definitely will never be poor. Many people don't see it like we do. We get to be exposed to thousands of families and get to see what good planning in your 40s, 50s, and 60s can do for you in your 70s or 80s. We are at a point we're out of time. I hope to be able to get into talking about taxes. I hope to be able to talk about some other issues that longevity can cause problems with, but they're going to have to wait. We'll, we'll bring Brian back. We'll have another show here soon. We're going to cover all of that. But uh, Brian, thank you so much for being with us again today. Next time. Next time. Yeah, no, it's always great to be here and uh, look forward to doing it again. Listeners, my name's Dave Hall. I've been your host and look forward to seeing each of you again here next week. Hey, if you liked what you heard and you want more retirement risk education or you're interested in signing up for any of our many retirement-focused webinars, make sure you check out our website at retirementriskadvisors.com. We have a lot of great resources, tools, and information on retirement available to you right at your fingertips. And if you're on social media, you can find us at Retirement Risk Advisors on Instagram and Facebook. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Retirement Risk Show with our host and retirement risk expert, Dave Hall. We here at RRA don't just get you to retirement, we get you safely through retirement. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back with you again soon. 